We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. Derek Van Riper here with Vlad Sedler talking NFFC this week. Get you a background on those contests. We'll talk strategy. We'll talk about some players that we like. All sorts of ground to cover. Kind of uh, the other cousin of the MFL pod that we did uh, last week. And, of course, the Thursday episode, we started to break down a team that Mike Doria put together in the NFFC Rotowire Online Championship a few weeks back, so this will provide even more context to what's going on in that league. But, uh, Vlad, before we dive in, how's it going today? I'm good, DVR. i am uh, got some uh, football on the background and got some ramen coming in after this, so I'm uh, looking forward to talking to you here for a bit. Believe it or not, ramen is one food that I can't find in abundance in Madison, Wisconsin. We've got great food here, especially for the size of the city. I mean, it's a decent-sized city, and the food is exceptional, but ramen is sort of a blind spot in the Madison food scene. 
Yeah, I think uh, when you come out here to visit us, uh, we definitely got some good ramen spots to take you. But even more so, what's really popping up out here that's uh, that's been pretty awesome are uh, poke bowl places where you can basically get like uh, you know like a fresh ahi tuna or a uh, fresh salmon, uh, you know, raw sushi style in a bowl. So I don't know if that's your thing, but uh, that's that's another good option around here in L.A. It sounds like it will be <laughs> soon enough because that sounds delicious. All right, so let's dive into the NFFC. I mean, this is one of the oldest and most prestigious fantasy football contests in the land. Uh, Greg Ambrosius, Tom Kessenick do a fantastic job running the event. How long have you been playing in the NFFC's events? I know you play in the NFBC, too. How far back does your uh, competitive streak go in these events? So I'm going off uh, eight years now. This will be my ninth season in the game. Uh, so, you know, kind of mixed results, really, just sort of depending on the season. And, I'm, you know, last week I mentioned how I uh, went a little heavy with Eddie Lacy early on. And so, uh, you know, things turned out the way they did la- that season. But I uh, had a nice season where I competed for the overall championship back in 2012 in Peterson's bounce back year. Uh, but overall, I mean, it's a phenomenal contest. You know, you've got all the different types of um, events. You know, you've got your, you know, li- live events that take place in New York and, and Las Vegas with the, uh, the, the 12th team uh, primetime challenge that offers a $150,000 grand prize and and also the 14-team classic with an $80,000 grand prize, which I think you're going to be playing in this year, right? Yeah, I'm playing in that Labor Day weekend. I'm splitting a team with uh, with Mike Doria, who's on Thursday's pod. We're going to go tandem in that one. We'll see We'll see how that goes. We've never shared a team before, so that, that could that could present some unique challenges. I've shared teams with other people, though, so I think I've got a pretty good feel for you know what kind of advanced prep needs to be done in that arrangement. And given the price points of these leagues it makes a lot of sense to go at it with the partner in many cases i mean if you're playing in the classic especially splitting that entry fee makes a lot of sense and certainly you could do the same in the prime time depending on how many leagues you want to play in um, do you live a strong preference 12 team versus 14 teams in these in these formats I think for myself, I'm just so used to the 12 teamers. I mean, those are the ones that I'm prepping for in uh, the uh, the MFLs and um, you know the the NFC, NFFC slow drafts that I'm doing as well. So I don't have a lot of 14 team exposure, but um, I think that's something that would be uh, really fun. Uh, it's definitely been a few years for me in that format, uh, and I'd, I would also love to try a, an auction in the 14 team format as well. Yeah, I just feel like in general, both for football and for baseball. My wheelhouse has historically been the auction format as opposed to the snake drafts. I've just done a lot better with more control over my roster construction uh, than I have with the snake draft. You still have control in the snake draft. It's just a different way you have to go about it. I just haven't quite found my stride in these uh, high-stakes NFFC leagues. But the format's pretty good. I mean, I, I like the way the scoring works. It's 12-team PPR. Uh, for the online championship and all the leagues I think have the same scoring system they just have slightly different numbers of teams that that really make it different six points for a passing TD so that opens things up a bit with the quarterbacks the full point PPR is something I really like because I think it changes the player pool in a very dynamic sort of way Uh, is there anything that's unique about this that you find that you have to adjust for as far as the scoring goes 
No, I think it's just uh, really imperative that uh, you, you can sort of you know join the pack and in, in making sure that you're getting uh, wide receivers that are heavily targeted in their offenses. Uh, I mean, wide receivers. I mean, if you think receivers are going off the board fast in MFLs or or uh, you know expert leagues, I mean, this is this is just you know a whole nother level. I mean, you know, you're 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 looking at guys like you know like you know Julian Edelman, for example, is your wide receiver one if. Uh, you know, if that suits if that suits you, your first two picks and, and going running back, or you go with the, the Gronk path, um, there's a chance you're, you're ending up with like an Edelman or a Macklin. Um, and in that case, you really could potentially be left behind in this type of format. Um, as far as the quarterbacks go, uh, despite the six points for passing touchdown, uh, don't really see a lot of uh, people pushing up the quarterbacks. Um, you know, I mean, a, you know, a buddy of mine did a draft the other day where Russell Wilson fell. He was the, you know, the fourth uh, quarterback taken in his uh, 12-team uh, Rotowire online championship, and he, he was taken in the seventh round. So, um, you know, really don't see too much, uh, too much uh, uh, pushback on those quarterbacks. And the other big thing that is different about the way the draft is set up, you have third round reversal. So the third round order follows the second round order from that point. It snakes through like a typical draft. So first round, second round is normal, but it goes back to the start of where it was to start round two as round three gets underway. And that really shapes where you want to be positioned. And as some people know, the NFFC leagues use the KDS, Kentucky Derby-style slotting system, to place owners. What's the sweet spot for you? What's the, what's the preferred way to set up your KDS as you get ready for a 12-team draft right now? Yeah, so you know, I really like this this third round reversal. I mean, obviously, yeah, NFFC, as far as I know, uh, is, is the only company that's been doing this. Uh, but you know, just a little background. I mean, this this started back in the in the uh, the mid two thousands, back when uh, Ladanian Tomlinson and, and Priest Holmes and Sean Alexander were dominating. And so, essentially, if you had uh, that early first round pick and you know you know just sort of treaded water elsewhere, um, you're pretty much you know in the money there uh, for your league. And so, uh, you know, that changed right around that. Uh, right around those mid 2000s where uh, you know essentially somebody that's picking uh, at the end of the first round with the 12th and the 13th pick would also get the uh, the pick number 25 uh, represented by pick three uh, you know by basically the first pick in the third round um, so for myself I, I don't think I'm too huge of a fan of, of drafting in the middle in these drafts um, I would almost like to either if I'm not getting a top three pick where I'm starting with an Antonio Brown uh, Julio Jones or Odell Beckham, um, I'm looking to grab a pick, you know, at the end so I can get three of the top 25 players, um, you know, picking at 12, 13, and 25. I'm getting three guys, and I'm just missing the drop-off of, um, you know, where those sort of second-tier wide receivers uh, stop going. Yeah, that's that's the way I've been looking at the pool so far, too. I'm just hoping to end up Ideally, in the top three. I mean, that's that's the sweet spot for sure this year. Even even with the third the third round reversal, that extra boost you get from those top three receivers, to me, that's worth it. Like, I like the way the teams I've seen uh, come out of those spots. I don't think there's a, enough of a, a tear break coming back through in, in round three where I'm afraid to take those early spots because of how late they pick in rounds two and three. In certain years in the past, though, that's been more of a concern where there was a stronger preference for me at least to kind of shade more towards the back part of round one as my, my first overall preference. 
Yeah, and I've seen um, a lot of the uh, sort of pros, um, guys that have done really well in this format um, over the last couple of years. I mean, they are targeting in their KDS. Um, they're looking for a back-end pick, and they feel comfortable starting off from there, just feeling that there's um, a lot of the uh, similar players after those first few picks. Uh, but, you know, the one uh, concern I'm thinking about, uh, if you are to start with, um, you know, with, you know, with like an Antonio Brown is, you know, after the middle of the third round, um, I mean, you could start with like a Brown and Jamal Charles there in the second round um, because he has been slipping a little bit or possibly a receiver like, you know, T.Y. Hilton, Sammy Watkins or Demarius Thomas. Uh, but then when it comes back around to you in the third round at pick 36, uh, a lot of those wide receivers are just gone. I mean, you're looking at guys like Kelvin Benjamin, Jordan Matthews, uh, and then even Jeremy Macklin and Doug Baldwin, who uh, could be solid, but you know, not necessarily uh, the way you want to go. Uh, you know, it, in some cases, you're hoping you can get lucky and uh, a little running back um, uh, train starts going off, and that perhaps you could grab um, one of those, you know, Cobb, Hilton, Watkins type guys. But um, you know, it, it, there also, I think, are some concerns with that early pick as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and that you, you can have it break in a way where it's just nothing that you really like at the end of round three, but I think I like Jeremy Macklin enough, and I see him falling there consistently enough, especially in a full-point PPR league where I feel like he's pretty stable, and even if I'm going receiver, 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 he's my third option. I'm really happy with that, but if I go receiver, running back, if, if Charles is there, I don't, I don't even mind having Charles and Macklin if that's the way it goes in terms of best value. I, I like that Charles is back on the practice field now, too. He's had a full practice oh, yeah. on Thursday, so that bodes, I think, really well that he's got a few weeks to get completely back up to speed uh, before week one begins. Uh, as the format goes, one other thing I, I want to point out, the league winners are determined after week 13, and then the overall prize pool that competition carries on through the traditional fantasy playoff weeks, weeks 14 through 16. So how do you navigate the schedule knowing that the season ends a bit earlier with respect to your individual league prizes? So I think that uh, it's important uh, to at least have an idea of what the schedule looks like. Uh, you know, strength of schedule, of course, uh, plays a part, but it's really so difficult. You know, as you know, the NFL is, you know, such an ever-changing landscape, uh, you know, who, who knows who really who the the new good defenses are going to be or the bad ones. And so, you know, things just sort of change as the season goes on. And, you know, by the time you're looking at weeks uh, 14, 15, 16, I mean, first off, you got to be able to get there. So your, your team needs to win your league or um, you need to be, have the most points in your league in order to qualify uh, as a consolation. Um, and that only at that point can you compete for those final three weeks. Uh, but for me, I really like to look at those weeks, um, you know, just sort of early on uh, before the season starts as perhaps a tie breaker on players and just really kind of have that in the back of my mind. Um, because, you know, there are definitely some schedules that have uh, teams that have that you know are, are playing in, in not aren't playing in domes that are playing in, in cold east coast you know up north stadiums uh or they're you know facing really tough tough schedules so um you know if, if i'm looking between two players that might uh you know be very similar in a certain round i kind of want to have it in the back of my head who they're playing uh weeks uh 14 15 16 as that really could make a potentially make a difference yeah, it could. A couple of teams that you pointed out that have easy schedules, and I really haven't thought about it this far ahead, uh, would be the Lions. I mean, they have a home game against the Bears. They're on the road against the Giants, on the road against Dallas. That, that could be a nice lift in weeks 14 through 16 
and the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks get the Saints twice <laughs> during the fantasy playoffs this year. Those games should both be high scoring. It shouldn't matter home or away in, in, in that case, and they get Dallas sandwiched in between. I mean, if you're buying into the Tampa Bay offense anyway, this structure makes them even more appealing. I think so. I mean, it, 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 the way that it shakes out that way with uh, the Saints on the schedule twice, I mean, you know, even if the Dallas, uh, even if the defense won't be as bad as it was last year, it's still not going to be all that great. And I think that the Bucks are um, a formidable unit this year on offense. Uh, I mean, you're seeing a lot of stuff out there, um, you know, people talking about, you know, pumping Evans up as, you know, really sort of bouncing back from that season last year where, you know, he was targeted heavily, but just didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, touchdowns essentially. Uh, and so you know, some of that might have to give this year might be a little bit uh, regression uh, in that respect. And so, uh, I mean, that's a, it's an interesting idea. I mean, if you do have Evans early on, uh, it's not a bad idea to perhaps look to, to stack him with a, with a Jameis Winston who also might, you know, for all we know, could break out and be a top five quarterback this year. I keep looking at Winston as the weight on the quarterback guy that you can plug in almost every week, and the price is outstanding right now. I'm interested to see if his ADP starts to rise as we get closer to the uh, first weekend in September, but it doesn't seem like there's been that much movement with Jameis uh, to this point. Now, one other thought pertaining to these early rounds and, and thinking about uh, the way the schedules line up. I mean, the, the tough schedules. Uh, Atlanta has uh, the Rams, the Niners, and the Panthers, if I'm not mistaken. And then the Dolphins get the Cardinals, Jets, and Bills. Atlanta's one of those teams where you're getting a pretty good discount on almost everybody. I mean, Julio's not coming at a discount because he's elite. But even Devontae Freeman, for what he did last year, we may have touched on him last week. I mean, it's strange how much he is falling for the player who led running backs in fantasy points a year ago. Like I, As Peter Schenke wrote up in the blog a few weeks ago, it's just not something we've ever really seen before at the running back position. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, uh, you know, I myself, are, uh, I'm not going out of my way to necessarily target Devonta Freeman, but that's also because I'm a big Tevin Coleman truther, and I definitely think that he sort of plays in and, and gets somewhere between the, you know 35 to 45% of those carries this year. Uh, and I think some of that has to do with also Devonta Freeman f- uh, falling a bit down the stretch and not being as efficient. But I mean, those first, uh, you know, first half of the season, I mean, that was just absolutely magical. Uh, people that were playing them in, in daily fantasy games were, were just absolutely crushing it. And, um, you, know, you know, what an absolute value there. Uh, but, you know, what's funny is I have a, just a small little wager with, uh, with Mr. Liss that, uh, in a non PPR format that Tevin Coleman will actually score more fantasy points than him. Um, I do have three to one odds on that bet, but, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I definitely like Freeman, but um, we have that set as a 10 game minimum, but I, I kind of like my chances as well. By the way, there's, there's a quick list sidebar that I feel like is relevant given that you and I have the same affinity for food. Uh, the once upon a time, this is like three or four years ago now, we were out as a, as a group, like myself, I think it might have been Erickson or, or Schuler and Liss, and we went out to get Asian food, and we stopped at the Wynn, the Asian restaurant inside the Wynn. I'm not sure what it's called. It, it's a good place. We sit down, we have a meal, and... It somehow over the course of the meal, like, I don't know if the, the waiter or the waitress uh, told the manager 
like they had a, a unruly customer of some kind. But the woman who was managing the restaurant came out and recognized Liss, who had only been in this restaurant one time ever before. I mean, we're talking about a, an Asian restaurant inside of the Wynn in Las Vegas, which probably turns hundreds of tables every day. So this woman sees thousands of new faces on a weekly basis, and she remembered Liss by name, and he'd been there like a year ago. I mean, that's that's how that's how much of a of a clown Liss can be at times. Like he stands out that much. The the disgruntled gourmet, uh, and he's I, I've been to Asian restaurants with him before. I mean, he took me once to a, a spicy place. Uh, it was a, a, like a northern Chinese place, and every single dish that they ordered was spicy. He basically ordered absolutely everything on the menu, and pretty much forced us to eat it all. I mean, it was unbelievable. We were burning, dying for days, but uh, it, it was definitely, definitely an unforgettable meal. Yeah, he that, that was what it was all about too. He wanted this food spicier than like the waiter or waitress was willing to have it prepared for him. Like that was, Bring the chef out. <laughs> let me speak to the chef. I just want I want the spiciest stuff ever. Like that was that was the whole that was the whole crux of it. But going back to uh, some strategy things. I mean, zero running back has become a strategy these last couple seasons pretty popular but in the NFFC where you see people being as aggressive with wide receivers as they are in any leagues anywhere. It's one of the more popular approaches and in zero running back of course for those who've never heard the term before doesn't mean you don't draft any it just means you wait a long time to start addressing that position do you like following zero running back in these leagues or are you are you more agnostic to the point where it really just depends on the quality of the backs that are coming up as your turns through the first three or four rounds come about well i mean it's you're essentially you're you're building a a puzzle as you go and you know, you can sort of have a loose plan of perhaps starting that way, but I know the way that it works for me is, um, you know, maybe it's just I'm a little old school, but there there always comes a time where I, I start. I don't always feel fully comfortable uh, not having, uh, you know, at least one bell cow back. Uh, I think I might be a little bit more comfortable this year as I'm seeing a lot of the guys like, uh, you know, falling to the third and fourth round, guys like McCoy and Anderson, uh, Ingram, even Martin in some cases. So, uh, you know, I could potentially do that and, and play some running back chicken. But, um, you know, I, I typically don't plan that way. Uh, and, you know, it, it might work out that way in, in a specific draft. But, you know, it really all just depends. For me, I, I look at it the same way where I, I don't necessarily go into a draft thinking I'm just not going to have running backs. Like I, I don't know what's going to happen and, until it begins. Same with auctions, too. I mean, if the prices are right, I'll invest in Gurley or David Johnson or Le'Veon Bell, and I might get a second back in the top ten. But I, I see the same thing you're seeing with LaShawn McCoy in that he missed some time last season, may have played some games where he wasn't 100%. There's not a lot right there to push him four carries in Buffalo. Mike Gillisley is the, the closest thing they have to a, a competent backup. But you have to think Shady's going to see somewhere between 75 and 80% of the total touches from the Buffalo running backs, at least to begin the year, but perhaps throughout the season. I love McCoy. I mean, I have a bunch of shares uh, on my MFL rosters. I've got them already on, uh, on my NFFC slow draft, uh, the draft champions league. And uh, he's moving up a little bit. I mean, he, you know, his, his overall NFFC ADP was uh, 43, but if you're drafting over the last seven days uh, and you're able to actually section that off uh, through the, through the uh, NFFC site, it, McCoy's up to 35. So he's moving up, you know, right there at the end of the third round. Uh, but for me, I mean, this is a guy, you know, before last season, his last two years in Philadelphia, I mean, he had 
you know, 300 plus carries both years. Uh, you know, he's a workhorse, really a workhorse back playing in a, you know, Ryan led offense. That's going to be really run heavy. Um, even though they got, you know, the, the, the Tyrod Taylor and, and, uh, you know, Watkins combination, but you know, I'm a big fan of McCoy. Uh, and actually I, I kind of like CJ Anderson too, uh, only because, um, I mean, this is a guy that, you know, once he recovered from his ankle injury, he was really solid down the stretch and, you know, going down to the, the, the three playoff games that he played last year, he was averaging nearly 80 yards over those three games. He was getting the, uh, the bulk of the workload there, got 18 carries uh, per game. And uh, I mean, yeah, it was a first round bust and started off the season a little bit on the wrong foot, but you know, honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if, if he ends up as a you know top five, top eight running back and, and gives you that second round value. Yeah, those are the guys, McCoy and Anderson, that I would like to get in three and four if I go receiver, receiver to kick things off. But even if I only get one of them and I end up having to go a different direction, maybe it's a third receiver, maybe it's like a Travis Kelsey type player, Greg Olson, something along those lines, I'm comfortable with that because I think I like some of the depth running backs more than most. And, and Danny Woodhead's a player that people love in the NFFC because he catches so many passes. You look at the way that San Diego offense is built, not a lot has changed. They brought in Travis Benjamin, but Stevie Johnson's hurt. So really it's Allen, Benjamin, and Gates through the air with Woodhead catching some passes out of the backfield. And Melvin Gordon, to me, I actually like both Chargers running backs. I don't want them on the same roster, but I do like what both can bring to the table because I think Melvin Gordon can still be significantly better than he was last year if the offensive line play improves. Uh, yeah, and I mean Woodhead right now. I, I've seen him falling in, in NFL drafts, but uh, you know, f- for this NFFC, you know, the, 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 these twelve teamers. I mean, he fits in perfectly there, uh, especially if, if you're starting off with four uh, receivers and you are going, uh, you know, zero running back. Uh, you know, he, he's being taken at the end of the fifth round. Uh, he's a really, really good value there, I believe. Uh, and I don't think he's going away. I mean, he's he's finally you know healthy again. I think. Uh, I mean, it was healthy last year, of course, but he's looking really, really good in camp. Uh, he's going to continue to be a big part of the offense. And the main thing is, I mean, he was the running back three in this format last year. He had 76 catches. Uh, last season and the two seasons prior to that when he was healthy before I mean he had 80 uh, 80 catches that year too I mean that's just something you can't discount in a PPR format a guy that catches so many balls and even if Melvin Gordon's more involved as a pass catcher because he can he can actually catch passes it seems like Woodhead has a floor of like 60 and that's that's fine that's going to be very good he's going to have some weeks where he's getting seven or eight catches because the matchup and the game game flow is going to actually go that direction uh one other running back related question is you kind of look at the mccoy anderson bunch the next round down you kind of have this toss-up between carlos hyde and thomas rawls i mean if you're actually looking at that decision and have to pick one which direction are you going right now i i there's just something to me about uh how um ineffective i think the uh 49ers offense is going to be whether it's gabbert to start or perhaps kaepernick eventually but um Obviously, Hyde's going to be on the field a lot, but I also could see just a lot of games where they're just down in you know by by the middle of the third quarter, and it's just going to be a lot of uh, you know chucking to Torrey Smith, a lot of you know a lot of uh, passes on the slot to Ellington, uh, you know trying to get get Vance McDonald going. So uh, you know going to be a lot of negative game script, I believe, in San Francisco. And with Rawls, he's just this crazy X factor to me. I mean, I've, he just 
I don't have any shares yet, but he feels like a guy that could just be like one of those crazy difference makers and just steps in to that, uh, you know, that role that Marshawn Lynch, you know, retired from and just take over and just like dominate and become a, you know, the number RB one this year for all we know. It's definitely possible. I mean, he impressed everybody last year, probably surprised the Seahawks with what he was able to accomplish. Do you enjoy playing fantasy football for cash? but are tired of the same game offerings or hosting sites keeping too much of the prize pool? If so, check out MaximumFantasySports.com. They offer a variety of season-long and DFS fantasy football leagues with features no other website has, and they pay out 90% of the prize pool. Does your state prevent you from playing in a DFS league? And are you not interested in a full-season league? MFS runs monthly fantasy football leagues known as four-week frenzy leagues that are available to you. Forget salary cap leagues and use the online draft for all of your full season and short-term leagues at Maximum Fantasy Sports. If private leagues interest you, register your own redraft and keeper leagues using options like in-game player changes, multi-team trades, team quarterbacks, bi-week rollover, and more. You can even run your survivor pools, confidence pools, pick'em pools, and squares pools for free at MaximumFantasySports.com. Join today. Uh, but let's take a look at, at this other uh, this other idea here. I mean, the main reason running backs are being pushed down is because the target monster receivers seem to be, at least uh, the I think studies have even shown, they tend to be safer from year to year but it might not be as much of a gap as people realize and it almost feels like the market has overcorrected for Mm -hmm. like something that is sort of true but not as true as the market is now pricing it to be yeah i mean i i feel like it's almost uh you know people are almost um you know pricing it that way subconsciously and just you know allowing what happened last season to sort of come into play uh you know because the position was essentially just you know turned on its head i mean many of last year's top running backs i mean freeman was you know was top guy last year the only guy that averaged over 20 fantasy points a game last season uh d'angelo williams stepped in and was the rb5 on the year you had david johnson you had darren mcfadden who was efficient uh, all coming relatively out of nowhere and uh, you know if you're looking at all, some of these some of these running backs that were taken in between rounds one and three i mean they were essentially it's just adrian peterson and lamar miller i mean those are the only guys that ended up with uh, value uh, as a anywhere between RB1 or 10. Yeah, among the many busts. I mean, a lot of this was injury-based, of course, but Eddie Lacy wasn't hurt that bad, had some ankle trouble, but he was first-round pick that returned running back 30 value. I mean, C.J. Anderson had the turf toe early in the year. He wasn't even top 30 at the end of the year despite finishing the season strong. Uh, DeMarco Murray killed so many of my teams last year. McCoy didn't quite live up to expectations, which is why the price has come down a bit on McCoy. Uh, going into this season it, it, it's a pretty interesting list uh, when you break it all down but you know when you start thinking about the way teams are, are using players do you see last year being like a bottom where you, you're actually going to see teams go back to a workhorse a little bit more like you, you pointed out in the outline there's there are, there were five backs last year that had 250 or more carries like is is that the new normal or is that actually a valley if we're charting this number over time are we, are we going to see more backs actually reach that sort of level with health this season yeah i think health is is definitely a big part of it i mean last season we just you know even with the top quarterbacks and all the top running backs i mean there was just uh, a lot of carnage essentially um and and a lot of a lot more 
you know, running back by committees, a lot of, you know, these theoretics and, and Bilal Powells that are coming in and, and being so efficient, big parts of the offense. Uh, but I think we're going to see a little bit of a, a little bit of a, you know, um, homage back to the, uh, the the good old days, just just a little bit. And so now it's also one of the reasons that um, going, you know, full on zero running back uh, concerns me a little bit. But, you know, as you mentioned, five uh, running backs carried the ball over 250 times last season. Um, the year before that, it was seven. But the two previous years before that, it was uh, 10 and 11. And so, um, you know, I know obviously, you know, times have changed. And, and since 2012, I mean, obviously, it's a little bit more of a passing league. Um, and a lot of these target monster receivers are where the value is at. But, um, I mean, there's a lot of guys. There are a lot of guys that you could potentially, um, you know, bet on to, to approach 300 carries. So thinking about this, if you decide to be a little more aggressive at running back, you're going against the grain, but you're also solidifying a position where, there are a lot of question marks if you wait. It leaves you in a position in a full-point PPR league where you have to have some receivers that you really like that other people are not as high on. I mean, are you comfortable building your team that way, going running back, running back, if you have a late first-round pick, for example? Is that something that you, you feel you can do successfully if that's the way things work out in terms of your draft position and then how things unfold over the course of that draft? Yeah, it's it's funny. Funny you say that. Uh, I actually have an example. So I've drafted one of these NFFC 12 team uh, RotoWire Online Championships, and uh, it was the middle of July. Obviously, not a lot of activity. Uh, you know, players weren't at camp yet, and so I drew the 10th pick. And my plan there, of course, I was looking at you know potentially Des Bryant or um, or, or Evans or even Allen Robinson. Uh, but when it came around to my pick, David Johnson was there. He was staring me in the face. And I, you know, I'm a big fan of his this year. I watched him last year. I mean, I it was really hard for me to pass on him. And actually, by the time my tenth pick came around, Des Bryant and Evans were gone. So my, my choice there was essentially David Johnson or starting with Allen Robinson. And uh, and so I did pick David Johnson. And then on the on the way back in the turn, five picks later, uh, Zeke Elliott was there. And so this is before the you know the potential hammy injury. Um, you know, I'm not quite sure how he's doing there, but. Um, you know, middle of July, Zeke Elliott, who was, uh, you know, a first round projected value sitting there in the second round. So I ended up going with, uh, with two running backs back to back, not at all as I planned. And it was at that point that I started panicking and was wondering, you know, I had a queue filled out of, of all the guys that I was looking to target with my next two picks. And basically they were all gone. I mean, I, you know, I ended up with, uh, you know, after Johnson and Elliott, I ended up going with T Y Hilton, who I was happy with. But then I had Emmanuel Sanders and John Brown, who were not necessarily at the top of my queue. I do like John Brown, but, you know, basically all these guys, you know, between Macklin and Cobb and, and even Devontae Parker and, and uh, Jordan Matthews, Michael Floyd, everybody was gone. So what that meant is, is, you know, after getting those three receivers that I wasn't particularly happy with, I had to basically hit wide receiver really hard thereafter. Yeah, I do feel like there's a big tier break right around the point where Jordan Matthews is going or was going. It'd be sliding a little bit because of that knee injury. And part of that, of course, is we've talked about in this pod over the last few weeks, Arizona's receivers, talented as they might be, you don't know where exactly the ball is going to go in any given week. Like They're going to get their numbers over the course of the season, but there might be some feast or famine there. I mean, Larry, Larry Fitzgerald, because of the volume, probably is the safest of the bunch. But with Floyd and Brown in particular, I think you just have the occasional week where, especially in a 12-teamer, if you end up with a good fourth receiver on your bench, 
you might end up in this position where you're kind of psyching yourself out trying to figure out if you should actually make an adjustment or to leave those guys in because again the raw talent is so impressive the offense is so good you just don't know for sure if they're going to have their uh, typical involvement in any particular game plan but you were one of two teams that went running back running back i mean with with zeke and david johnson ty sanders brown was your trio the guy two spots over team eight in this draft you were team 10 ended up with Gurley and freeman as his first two picks got randall cobb in the third which i really like and then he has Fitz and Crabtree, which I'm, I'm not buying into Crabtree. I think the volume last year uh, was great for PPR owners, but the track record of health there is really poor. I don't think things could get any better for Derek Carr in that passing game. I think everything last year seemed to max out quite a bit. You might have a guy in Clive Walford who steps up a little too, and, and that could chip away at some of uh, Crabtree's targets. So I look at what you did, that trio of Hilton, Sanders, and Brown as being better and I think as far as the combined running back value goes, even though I like Gurley more than the other backs, I like Johnson and Elliott more than Freeman. So I think you ended up with a better team, even though you were drafting from the 10 spot. Yeah. And then, you know, soon thereafter, it, you know, really, I mean, I, I ended up grabbing Russell Wilson in the sixth round and, you know, felt at that point in the draft, there really wasn't anybody that I was, uh, you know, particularly eyeing. And obviously I think Wilson's going to have a huge year. And so he was, it was a grab for me there, but um, you know, Sean Jackson stepped in as, as my wide receiver four there. Um, and, and beyond that, uh, I waited a few rounds and, and basically what my team really needs is for one of these guys between, you know, Josh Doxson, who's you know, probably far away from even getting into game action at this point, Rashard Matthews, Tyler Boyd, Nelson Aguilar, um, and even my final pick, JJ Nelson. I mean, I ended up going with more receivers than most of the other teams because I'm going to need a couple of guys to really sort of emerge. And, and as you were saying with, you know, with, with a guy like John Brown, I mean, it really is a uh, feast or famine. I mean, that's a player him and Floyd are, are guys that are almost best made for best ball. And what could easily happen is if, you know, one of my guys like Richard Matthews or Tyler Boyd get off to a hot start and become tempting for me to put them in my lineup. I mean, we're forgetting, you know, we're, we're fully in draft season. Now, once the season starts, the hardest part is deciding a lot of times based on matchup and looking at the quarterback cornerbacks that are opposing them, figuring out each week, you know, who, who you're going to put in there. So, um, you know, I got a couple of feasts of famine guys with John Brown and, and Deshaun Jackson. So, um, I think that's sort of where, uh, going, uh, heavy receiver early on really plays a big, uh, it really plays a big benefit where you don't have to do a lot of the guessing. I do feel like it's easier to make a lineup decision with a running back than it is with a receiver. I, I don't, I don't know why if that's just something yes. that's unique to me, but I, I, maybe the game flow and, and the workloads are a little bit easier to figure out based on point spreads, based on recent usage patterns, based on who's healthy, a lot of different factors like that where you know a, a game can get out of hand so quickly if uh, if Arizona has a blowout going or something like that i mean the if john brown doesn't score a long td and the cardinals go up three scores he might not see another target for the rest of the game and that's just one of those things you have no control over Exactly. And so, you know, I think essentially, you know, sort of the, the takeaway from here is, is if you really just want to kind of go the safe route, uh, you know, just grabbing two wide receivers within your first three picks or, you know, you know, uh, grabbing a, a solid running back there in the third. I think that's a really nice way to start. Of course, it depends where you're drafting and what position you're in and what's available at the time. But I think a lot of times these uh, extreme strategies are, are basically just what they are extreme.
Nobody ever gets in their car thinking, I'm drunk, I'm driving, and I'm going to kill someone tonight. They might think, I've had a few drinks, but I'm okay to drive, or I only live a few minutes from here, or I've gotten away with this plenty of times before. And they think like that right up until the moment they kill someone. Thousands of people are killed in drunk driving crashes every year. It's better to be safe than sorry. Download the free Safe Rider app to help you call a taxi or send a friend to your location when you've been drinking. Drive sober or get pulled over. Now it's time for our safe sleeper picks sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. Many of us will be downing beers at our fantasy football drafts, which leads to bad decisions in the later rounds or worse decisions getting behind the wheel after the draft. I want to try something a little different with the safe sleeper pick today. So let's talk about the end game a little bit. Let's just say you're only going to get one running back, one receiver, and one tight end late. And we're talking about players that are going outside the top 150 overall in ADP. I mean, what's your preferred play? What's your your pocket cheap running back right now? What, what do you like to do if you know, maybe you only have three so far or you've got four, but you know one of those guys is a young player who might not get a chance to do much until later in the season. Uh, who do you like after pick 150 at the running back position right now? Well, I, I mean, I've, I've got a handful of those guys. Um, if, you know, I, I actually really love uh, Spencer Ware. I think the uh, the love is sort of spreading around the uh, the fantasy universe, and so uh, that guy's ADP is getting pushed up real quick. But the one guy that continues to uh, get no love, and I can understand it to an degree, um, and that's Legarrette Blunt on the, on the Patriots, and he's got a, a an ADP of 157. He's actually fallen, whereas ADP is over at 175 over the last week or so. Um, but you know, it doesn't look like Deion Lewis is coming back anytime soon. We're not going to have Brady. You've got somewhat of a you know beaten up receiver core there. Um, and I just think Garrett Blunt's going to be used quite often at the goal line and early on in the season. And I think uh, Garoppolo is going to be relying on him. Uh, I, I know that he just doesn't get a lot of love because he doesn't catch many passes. But uh, you know, you know, he he's that guy that uh, especially when when Brady comes back. I mean. You know, with the, with a with a you know positive game flow, and they're up and 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 they're marching down the field. I mean, he's the guy they just kind of hand it to him and have him walk it in, and you know, he's one of those guys who can give you you know two three touchdowns in a, in, a, in a particular game. Yeah, I really do like Blunt as one of those cheap backs. So I'm definitely with you there. Uh, the player I like in that range is Devontae Booker, and I could see him ticking up a little bit more. There's been some buzz. Uh, about him really since the the Broncos drafted him. He's really kind of solidifying his role as the number two back behind C.J. Anderson. And, yeah, I I did say earlier I like C.J. Anderson, but you think about Anderson a few different ways. I mean, one, running backs get hurt all the time. Two, Anderson was hurt last year. And three, Anderson's not a player the Broncos have a lot invested in, so if he struggles at all, there is reason to believe that Booker could take over that job. Booker's a player the Broncos like so much they wanted to take him in round one of the draft this spring, and they didn't have to. He had a knee injury, so they got him a little cheaper. They got him in the fourth, but this is a credible backup that could actually do a lot of damage if given the opportunity, much more so than, say, like Ronnie Hillman or, or Monte Ball, guys that have really scuffled during their time in Denver. 
Yeah, and, and Hillman's been there so long, and he's had effective uh, games and, and stretches here and there. But I don't think they're too heavily invested in him, and and I, I think he's sort of on the on the outskirts of that team. But I think Booker steps in right away as a as an RB two. Uh, I do see his ADP getting pushed up a little bit. Uh, I do think people have a natural concern with CJ Anderson, and so uh, you know that, I think that's a great pick there. How about a cheap wide receiver, though, after pick 150? You only get one. I know you like several. Which one do you gravitate towards? Uh, I like Robert Woods, actually. So he is he's available after round 15 in most NFC drafts. And so you've got Watkins there, who's your you know borderline wide receiver one this year, who's obviously quite the beast. And uh, uh, he's going to draw a ton of double, double coverage. I mean, Woods, last year, he played with a torn growing on both sides is growing and uh, he still put up okay numbers I mean but the guy is essentially he's never had a season in his you know three seasons of, of ever having under 40 receptions or under 500 yards he's just kind of always been there um, and he's heading into the season healthy uh, apparently he's got a little bit more explosiveness off the line he's not necessarily not a big guy he's not dominating but he's a pretty quick guy um, I think we've seen stretches of it last year or even he's been used as a as a uh, you know tournament winning um, you know, punt cheap receiver in daily fantasy leagues so uh, I think he's interesting I mean after all this guy's a former second round pick out of USC and uh, I think he's somebody that we've got to pay attention to well if we can count him and I'm, I'm surprised Robert Woods is not a name you hear really a lot of people talking about so that's a that's a great deep sleeper and it's it's perfectly logical because aside from the fact that Watkins will draw a lot of attention Watkins is a health risk to me I, I love the guy's talent but I have a lot of concerns about him actually playing 16 games so you may get a few games also where Robert Woods is the target leader in the Buffalo passing game and that's an, a possibility as well so it's a good point that he was dinged up last year with the the groin problems slowing him down uh, he barely counts as a after 150 guys chris hogan his adp is like 150.33 i'm surprised people aren't pushing him up a little more I, again it, it kind of ties to the health of julian edelman in particular but maybe i'm also fading danny amendola a bit and we know in an offense like new england you can have three or four viable pass catchers not a near weekly basis so there's a reason why the patriots sought chris hogan out from the bills you know like they saw something there that they feel like they can use of course the 7-eleven nickname people know about that by now guys always (laughs) finding a way to get open it's a great nickname hopefully you can actually turn that into something useful over the course of this season but at that price to get a share of the new england offense i'm interested i'm very interested I'm with you. I've got a couple of shares of him, of him and um, I, you know, I, I am worried about Danny Amendola. I don't think he's going to hold up for the whole season, and I think they got him for a reason. And you said it right there. I mean, you know, the, the nickname alone sort of says it all. I mean, this is a guy that I think can sort of step up under the wing of, of Julian Edelman. I know he doesn't have much football experience as a receiver until uh, he, you know, came in a, you know, a couple of years ago. But uh, I, I'm with you there. I'm uh, I'm all in for Hogan. How about a sleep, uh, safe sleeper pick at the tight end position? Again, we're staying outside the top 150 overall. Who, who's your late tight end to? Oh, man, you're going to make me have to just pick one again because, uh, well, we know I, you know I love you know I love Clyde Walford. I think he steps up and I think he he might be a top ten uh, a top ten guy. But I think um, as we get closer to September, I think Walford's going to be moving out of the top fifty uh, and um, you know being drafted a little higher. But for me, I'd say probably Jared Cook. 
I'm very intrigued in how uh, how he's going to be working with Rodgers, and if and if he starts to earn the trust of Aaron Rodgers, I, I think it could be somebody that's really interesting there. Uh, I mean, you, you've seen him over the last couple of years. You, you saw a couple of big plays uh, from him last year with the Rams, but he's got that rare combo of he's big and he's he's pretty fast for his size. So, you know, to me, Jared Cook is somebody that I uh, I'm interested there if, if Walford and some of my other guys are are not available. Yeah, pretty. Big change of scenery for Jared Cook, and you think about what Jermichael Finley's done in this offense in years past. Maybe that's kind of the high-end sort of expectation. You certainly don't have to pay anything close to a price that resembles what Jermichael Finley used to cost when he was healthy and productive as a member of that Green Bay offense. Uh, For me at tight end, it's Jordan Cameron. I mean, last year just looks like an aberration, 5.5 yards per target. He's only 28. I mean, he's, it's not it's not a case where he's way too old to be productive again. He's shown that big playability in the past. Missed a lot of time in 2014. I think a concussion, among other things, slowed him down. But it's easy to forget, Vlad. This guy had 80 catches, 917 yeah. yards, seven TDs, and nine catches of 20 or more yards in 2013. He's got a few more, uh, a few more players to wrestle with as far as targets go in Miami than he did during his time in Cleveland. But I think he can actually bounce back in a pretty big way with Adam Gaze calling the shots instead of Joe Philbin and Dan Campbell in Miami. I'm 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 with you there as well. I mean that that one season he had is just a, a glimpse of, of what he's capable with uh, capable in when he's when he's fully healthy. So you know, like you said, he's only 28 years old. He's a big big dude. You know, 6'5", 265. And uh, I think he might work really well in, in Adam Gase's offenses offense. So I'm definitely interested in looking at him around that range late. Yeah, really kind of like a tight end too, as far as how he's being priced. Uh, right now well Vlad thanks for stepping up these last two weeks for subbing in for Mario it's been been great chatting with you about the NFFC and the MFL uh, 10s and that's uh, just one of those events both both of these things the NFFC is just one of those great events if you could do it live I highly recommend it if you can't definitely try to sign up online but again thanks for stepping in Vlad and I think the listeners really enjoyed it Thank you so much, DVR. It's ramen time. <laughs> Enjoy the ramen. That's going to wrap things up for today's episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. Nick and I are back with you on Monday. that by the foot there's no better ride than an old station wagon room for six people facing forward two people facing backward and a whole lot of luggage lumber and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof if you can parallel park that beast you can park anything and with some quality parts and a little napa know-how you can keep your land ship running longer stronger it's not obsolete it's a rare treasure that's napa know-how napa know-how this is the story of the one As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. 
And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.